immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Immersive Audio Podcast with me, host Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. Hi, Monica. How are you? Doing well. How are you today? I'm doing great. I just had a massive cup of coffee, so I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> we had a bit of a break um, for a few weeks. and um, Awesome. I'd like to ask you, how are you doing with your new studio space set up? Um, are you up and running? Um, I'm getting there. I've uh, got my control room kind of put together, and I was testing out my little spatial audio array that I have here um, right now. And... Uh, yeah, it's exciting. Awesome. So what, what's the plan? What's the immediate step? Uh, are you planning to make an announcement and start inviting artists to come and kind of participate, what you call it, residency? Yeah, I think right now I'm probably about a month out before I'm going to start inviting more people into this space. Um, I have a few just kind of closer artist friends that I think are going to come out um, initially to play around with some things. And um, once we've kind of done some testing, I'll be working on opening that up to a broader community of people. We have a very special guest today, Nuno Fonseca, the founder and CEO of Sound Particles. And our hot topic today is directly related to Sound Particles, and it's called Operational Principle which is physics-based audio. Nuno will explain how the idea came about and how the CGI-like software interacts with virtual audio capture and rendering within software. More on that later. Please stay tuned till the end of the episode because we're going to be announcing exclusive giveaway from Sound Particles and uh, stay tuned for more details. First, let's talk about some of the most recent news. Shall we start with um, a newly announced XP for Life plugin suite for Ableton Live. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Uh, Eric Renault um, is an artist that I've met once or twice, but he, I think, is the brainchild behind this. And uh, it, yeah, it's, um, uh, it's a, a plugin suite that it looks like he's releasing for Ableton Live. There's not a whole lot of plugin suites that do a lot of the spatial audio stuff in Ableton Live. Um, I know there's the en- Envelop tool set um, currently, uh, but this one is exciting as far as uh, the the GUI that he's built to be able to kind of fly around and see your um, sound objects in space, as well as it um, has all the different kinds of decoding algorithms uh, or a bunch of different you know decoding algorithms that are available um, to work with and. It already has loaded into it a bunch of um, different speaker arrays that are kind of all over the world um, so that you can kind of just choose if you're, you know, working at the Cube at Virginia Tech, you know, you could kind of choose that, you know, that one. Or if you're in at Earcam or at the SAT, um, they uh, are already kind of custom built into it. So I'm interested to see kind of how this evolves and what people end up doing with it. 
Yeah, um, I've been looking on the website today and it uh, looks like a very promising set of tools. Obviously, it's partially based on Spat, and as we know, um, based on previous discussions, one of the most powerful solutions out there. And yeah, it definitely seems like a new frontier for Ableton users, um, which is very prevalent in um, a live performance space and uh, electronic music production as well. Have you had a chance to play around and kind of maybe slightly deeper exploration of those tools? I've been starting to dive in a little bit and getting things up and running. Um, I haven't fully got stuff working yet, but I think right now he just has a, the demo kind of available to play around with. Um, so I haven't uh, been able to... Uh, really, really test out the full kind of capabilities of it quite yet, but um, have been poking around and seeing what I can do. Another interesting announcement that was made not today, but maybe a few days ago, was about the um, introduction of spatial audio on Netflix that would work on um, Apple devices. Just for a little bit of a clarity, I guess, we already know that Netflix supported Surround and Dolby Atmos, but this is slightly different. Monica, do you want to elaborate on um, what this particular addition brings new to the table? Yeah, so I guess this uh, new addition is allowing um, spatial audio through the Netflix app on your iPhone and your iPad. Uh, and I think the the interesting thing about that is it actually does head tracking, uses the gyroscope, I think, in the, the phone um, to be able to track your head position uh, so that um, if you're watching, you know, a video with headphones and you move your head, the image will stay where audio image will stay with the screen. Here, here's a good quote, I think, um, from one of the articles. It says... Uh, um, using the gyroscope and accelerometer in your AirPods uh, Pro and your iPhone, spatial audio tracks the motion of your head as well as your device, compares the motion data, and then remaps the sound field so that it stays anchored to your device even as your head moves. Well, they're also doing the decoding um, of either 5.1 or 7.1 or Dolby Atmos mixes into a binaural mix through the Apple audio, spatial audio stuff that Apple's doing. So you have the spatialization being decoded, but then it's being using the head tracking to keep the, the, the audio image attached to your video image, no matter where that goes. Um, so especially I think if you're, you know, on an iPad, you know, if you put the iPad over, you know, to the right of you, you know, or in like that the audio would then go with the iPad and it would be wherever you put the iPad in relation to your head. These kind of announcements is just another positive sign towards the bigger picture where spatial audio, head-tracked audio is becoming more and more of a standard and it's trickling into well-known OTT services, content consumption methods, and so on. We're going to see more and more announcements, more and more companies kind of jumping on this, basically contributing to the to the bigger picture where, like I said, uh, spatial audio and, and head tracking will, will become more of a norm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, again, having these bigger companies get on board uh, just means that there's now more distribution uh, methods for content creators 
to actually create, you know, this content and have places for it to play and ways, different ways and methods for people to consume that content. Our guest today, Nuno Fonseca. Nuno is the founder and CEO of Sound Particles. He was the creator of Sound Particles software. is a 3D CG-like audio software used in all major Hollywood studios in productions such as Star Wars 9, Frozen 2, Aquaman, and Game of Thrones, to name but a few. Nuno is also a former university professor specializing in computer science and music technology areas. Nuno, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me here. It's a it's a pleasure, and uh, especially uh, a podcast about immersive sounds. So it's uh, wonderful, and uh, thank you also for having this broadcast on these topics. Absolutely. Well, I must confess, I'm a long time sound particle user and a big fan of your work for years. So I'm absolutely delighted to have you on a podcast and looking forward to get into the discussions about everything you've been up to uh, so far. Before we go there, let's start from the very beginning as usual. Nuno, you've been in the audio industry for a very long time. How did you get started? So I, I always had this passion regarding technology and sound and music. And I, I still remember even on high school to do one of those career tests to see what would be the best career for you. And I got exactly the same score for engineering and music. Um, and then when I went to college, I, uh, I took um, electronic engineering. Uh, at that time, there wasn't only uh, audio-related topics in universities in Portugal. Um, at some point during high school, I was considering going to physics, um, but um, the, the the passion for audio uh, let me go to uh, led me to go to to engineering instead. Uh, so I went to college during the 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 degree. I had the chance to to take some elective models things all of them regarding audio, like electroacoustics and acoustics and magnetic recording and digital processing, all of those things, which was great. And also during uh, college, uh, I had the, the chance to to attend some music-related classes because I went to, to, to the music university in Lisbon and said, okay, I'm taking engineering so I can not officially be also attending uh, music composition. Is there any way for me to uh, uh, eventually uh, be able to attend classes? And they told me, okay, as long as you pay the, the tuition fees, that at that time it was like 100 euros per year or something like that, uh, you are able to attend. So it was great. So during one year, I was even attending engineering and music composition and orchestration and all of those things. So always having this duality between engineering and music and sound. Uh, also, during that time, during on the vacations, I worked on a music instrument store, so I spent the entire day playing with instruments and other equipment, so it was uh, always uh, interesting. Uh, and then, after college, I returned to my hometown. I started working on an IT company, uh, working with servers and and operating systems, networks, those kinds of things. Um, but um, I was missing the audio component. Uh, at that time, I also took a, a master's uh, re 
in computer science and with a thesis in parallel computing and all of those things. But I was missing the audio component in my life, uh, the music, all of those things. So I decided uh, that now I'm going to um, dedicate myself only to teaching uh, and that although I was teaching computer science, I knew that I would have the time to do some research projects and more things regarding audio. And pretty much it was what uh, I've done. Uh, right from the start, uh, at that time, I also started working in something with East-West because at that time it was the beginning of uh, software samples with things like Giga Studio, those kinds of products. And at that time, East-West had just released a, a sound library called Voices of the Apocalypse that was a, a, a sound library with sounds of choir. So they record all the, the notes, uh, all the consonants and all the vowels of a choir. Uh, so I, as a uh, hobby, I, I even post something on a forum at the time saying, okay, have you ever thought about creating a product where I would, where people would be able to write the text that we want the choir to sing. Uh, at that time, they thought that that could not be possible. So I've started creating a text-to-sing uh, software where you could write the text, which means that you would play notes, and then each note will play a word or uh, a sequence of phonemes to make the word and all of that. So it was also a, a lot of fun, especially because I find out that people really enjoyed having a symphonic choir singing dirty words, uh, but it was uh, interesting and the product continued to uh, continue working on that and that became Word Builder that still uh, used nowadays in East-West um, vocal libraries. Um, also at the time I have time to write, some, to write uh, uh, one book about sound engineering. At the time also I was invited to start teaching at the Lisbon Music University. Uh, music technology and related topics. Um, and then it was time for me to decide to do a PhD and the idea of the PhD was to take even further that idea of the East-West in the choir. So what I've done on the, my PhD was uh, about resynthesis, the singing voice. So we would sing something to the computer and then the computer will extract everything like the music notes, the, the, the text that they've been singing, uh, all the music performance, the dynamics, the vibratos, all of those things, and then try to recreate the exact same thing uh, using a different sound library. Almost like imagine if you could have a, uh, effects uh, you need to where you could say go there and say change the voice to symphonic choir or to Madonna or to Shakira uh, and then you the computer will resync everything the exact same performance but with a different kind of, of voice and that was before sound particles but that was uh, a different story. Nuno, you've recently published an ebook called All You Need to Know About 3D Audio, which is extremely relevant to our listeners. Um, what's your current view on the evolution of spatial audio? Yeah, so um, even regarding the, the book, essentially it was almost like an evolution because I was giving some um, presentations at AES conventions. And I think that, of course, I love immersive sound, you love immersive sound, people that are listening to the podcasts love immersive sound, but I we 
for that to become a reality, uh, we need to bring more and more people into this field. And I think that sometimes we are so um, focused on the technical side that sometimes you forget about the pedagogical side. And uh, sometimes it looks like you need to have a PhD in mathematics or physics to be able to read anything that is published out there regarding special audio. Um, so the idea of the book was, okay, let's try to do something very, uh, uh, easy to understand without complex things. Because if you're talking about abisonics, yes, you can place a lot of equations with spherical harmonics and all of those things, but most people will not get it. If you simply say that ambisonics is a middle side with steroids, okay, now they start to understand and now they start to use ambisonics or other um, approaches to special audio. So the idea of the book was, okay, let's bring more people and let's have something easy to read and easy to understand the, the basics of um, immersive audio. Um, uh, and regarding the evolution, I think that um, it's great that the awareness, the awareness continues to grow. Um, recently, now with Apple uh, releasing uh, special audio in their uh, music um, platform and all of those things. Uh, but regarding special audio, I think there is two things that for me are quite relevant. One of them is sometimes I feel that we are becoming uh, almost too bipolar regarding all of this and be Sometimes it feels like we have almost nowadays two religions. You are either the fan of object-based audio and Dolby Atmos and all of those things, or you are a follower of Amazonics. And, and sometimes you get almost, it feels like two religions, each one don't liking the others. Uh, and the worst is that sometimes we are not even talking about technical aspects. We're talking about social and political and uh, other things, almost like capitalism versus open source, uh, commercial versus uh, <laughs> corporate versus university. Um, so I think that we need to acknowledge that, okay, there is no one size fits all in the immersive audio. All of these solutions have advantages and disadvantages, and we need to be more tolerant to all of these flavors instead of being quite radical uh, in one or the other. Um, the other thing that for me it's quite important is that, of course, everyone already understood that the future will not be people having 20 speakers on their rooms. Yes, there will be a few ex exceptions. Of course, some people will going to have uh, sound bars or smart speakers, but if we really want uh, immersive sound to succeed, it's going to be through the use of uh, headphones. And for that, we need to, f to handle the problem of binaural. And the problem with binaural, it's quite tricky. And let's face it, we probably have more than 100 PhDs uh, being done on that topic, and we still don't have uh, a solution uh, for that because we need personalized HRTFs. Uh, and for me, it's almost like the problem with binaural is that it's not one problem, it's a sequence of problems, almost like a chain uh, that is strong as its weakest links. And we can even focus and people focus in one aspect like the personalization of HRTFs and the other will focus on F tracking and the other on the equalization of headphones. But we need to fix the entire chain to be able to, to handle this. Um, and sometimes, of course, we have this generic uh, a, uh, binaural solutions that don't have any kind of personalization. But the problem is that 
we have so many different ears and ads and all of this that that doesn't work. It, it reminds me sometimes of that uh, uh, anaglyphic glasses, that 3D glasses with colors, with red and green that people would use. Uh, and yes, it gave you a sense of depth, but ruined everything else, color and everything. Uh, and, and sometimes I feel that, yes, we some solutions of binaural, yes, give you a sense of 3D sound, but ruins everything, ruins equalization, ruins everything. And it's almost like, if you don't have uh, a binaural solution that is uh, uh, tuned to that person, it's almost like having a, a random equalizer putting over there uh, because you never know exactly how it's going to, to, to be listened to that ear. So binaural is something that we need to fix. Of course, a lot of companies are working in this from Dolby and Facebook and uh, even smaller companies like uh, uh, Sound Particles and other startups uh, trying to do because we definitely need to 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 handle this problem to be able to live to take immersive sound to the masses and make sure that everyone is having good experience because otherwise it's like yes it's a fashion today everyone really likes about this but tomorrow everyone's forget it uh, so yeah we need to to handle binaural no i can't agree more it's um, very early days uh, despite the concept being uh, almost 200 years old, we st we're still battling the technology. At the same time, it makes it exciting because if it was solved by now, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's about time we talk about sound particles. But before we dive in even deeper, for those who never heard of sound particles, uh, who those who never came across this product, what is sound particles and what it's used for? Okay, so I can tell you a little bit about the story because it shows exactly the kind of product that it is. So probably around 15 years ago, more or less, um, I realized that uh, the most interesting visual effect that I was seeing on movies, um, most of them used particle systems. And particle systems, it's a technique widely used in computer graphics, where you generate thousands or even millions of small points, and those points create the illusion of fire and smoke and dust and rain and explosions and fairy dust and desert storms and all of those things. And at that time, I thought, okay, wouldn't it be nice if we could do the exact same thing with sounds and be able to generate thousands of small sounds that together create these amazing sounds fields? Um, but at the time, it was only an idea, like so many ideas that we have in our uh, lives. And then later on in 2012, I had finished my PhD. And as a computer nerd that I am, because this face doesn't fool anyone, uh, I decided to, OK, let's create my own simulator for particle systems, but for sound. So I started creating a software. Of course, if you want to do this, uh, I would need to create almost like a, a CGI kind of software, like the, an animation software like Meyer or Blender and those kinds of things with 3D views and, uh, and automations and all of those things. And of course, I had to add support for particles features and uh, audio and importing audio. And then instead of virtual cameras, okay, let's use virtual microphones uh, that almost also like cameras are able to move around and capture what is happening uh, around. Uh, and essentially, this was the, the, the beginning of sound particles. And then later on, um, 
At some point, I went to LA to a AS convention, but before going there, I sent a few emails saying, okay, I'm doing this. I think this could be interesting, especially for big productions and epic scenes. Uh, and then the first guys to respond was actually uh, people from Skywalker saying, okay, come here, do a presentation for us. And then within six months, I ended up doing presentations at Warner Brothers, Universal, Paramount, Fox, uh, uh, Sony, uh, later on on Disney, Pixar, Apple, Stanford, and other places. And people started to use this, especially in big productions, like you mentioned, Game of Thrones and Star Wars. And we can talk a little more about these kind of applications that could be interesting. Oh, definitely. I would like to talk about some more specific case studies. But I just wanted to mention it's, uh, it's a very unusual tool. And uh, based on my own experience, it's one of those things that I would say garbage in, garbage out. And it really requires some attention to detail and effort to create something. But once you've invested your time into the learning how to use the tool properly and everything that it's capable of, and it goes really deep, uh, only then you start really appreciating like how, like what you can ext extract from the tool. It's not one of those tools that you can just spend five minutes with and like get something absolutely amazing. Uh, you really want to spend some time and learn it to start truly appreciating its full potential. Yeah, it's a completely different kind of paradigm. It's almost like going to the classic animators at Disney that end draw every single frame and then say, okay, let's use a computer and instead of doing draws, let's modeling things in 3D and then when you make them and then you place virtual cameras and they say, okay, yeah, that's completely different. Uh, that's definitely an, uh, some learning curve. And say, would say, no, I'm here on my comfort zone. I don't want to, to move that. But once you take the challenge, you see uh, the, the possibilities and the amount of things that you could now do that would not be able to do some other way. But of course, I'm a, I have a biased opinion on the topic. So Yeah, and you know, I, I also want to just say you know, I'm a huge fan of your work as well and have taken a lot of inspiration from it actually and um, not necessarily using the tool in particular but I do a lot of uh, live um, live work in spatial audio environments and the idea of building these particle systems that you can move around in the space it really brings this uh, a whole different dynamic to working with these uh, sound, you know, these kind of sound sources and being able to take like a individual performer and be able to kind of explode their sound into all these different particles that are um, playing around uh, in a space. So I think uh, what, what you've done is really incredible. Um, but yeah, would you... Uh, uh, like to explain to us some of the key features of sound particles and what is unique about it and why is it, how do uh, um, users use it and um, or how are they able to replicate uh, certain sounds that would be hard to replicate in other ways? Usually the, the example that I give is, um, because it's very easy to understand, is the example of a battlefield. So imagine that I have 
I'm working on a movie that is a battlefield and now I need to create the sound of that battlefield. And of course, the traditional approach would be to go to my uh, workstation like Pro Tools and then, okay, let's start importing sounds and uh, an explosion here, another explosion there, a machine gun, another machine gun, some debris, impacts and screams. And probably after one day, I end up having like 50 tracks with 50 sounds playing at the same time. Um, with sound particles, the concept is completely different. So, okay, if I want to do a battlefield, I would say, okay, I go to sound particles, I'm going to create uh, 10,000 particles, which means 10,000 sound sources, uh, because let's face it, it's a battle, I'm going to have thousands of warriors and soldiers, all of those things. Uh, and then, okay, it's a, a big battle, so I'm going to spread all of those particles of all of those sound sources, like, for instance, an area like one mile by one mile. Uh, so, once again, it's like doing CGI. We are trying to recreate spatially uh, the things in 3D, positioning things in 3D. So, let's spread things like a rectangle with one mile by one mile. Um, then, okay, let's import some audio material. And if I'm doing a, a second war kind of battle, I can go there and import 200 war-related sound effects like explosions, machine guns, those kinds of things. And then each particle will randomly select one of those available sound sources and start to play back that sound. Um, of course, most of the times we don't want particles to be static. We want particles to move around like in real life. So instead of of course, we don't want to automate 10,000 uh, sounds. So what we do is we use random movement modifiers that essentially we go there and say, okay, I want each particle to have a random movement moving up to two meters per second or something like that. And then by doing that, we now have sound sources moving around spread over one mile uh, wide area. And then once again, we are having 10,000 particles, but we only have imported 200 uh, audio files, so which means that probably each audio file will be uh, reproduced probably 50 times uh, uh, around the scene. So what we do to create more diversity is to have some random audio effects that essentially are random uh, audio effects running in each particle. So each particle is going to have some random effects, and it could range from things like random gains, random delays, random equalizers, uh, random pitch shifters, or even using granular synthesis, which means that instead of playing uh, each particle playing the entire audio file, they could simply go there and grab two seconds or five seconds or uh, 100 milliseconds or whatever. Um, and, and then Let's put a virtual microphone, because once again, it's like having a, a virtual camera there. Let's put a virtual microphone. It could be stereo, 5.1, ambisonics, up to sixth order, or Dolby Atmos, bad. And then move the microphone to the middle of that battlefield, capturing the sound of everything.
the interesting thing is that we are able to do this in 10-15 minutes. Uh, so instead of waiting one day, you get 10 or 15 minutes and you get a battle. Instead of 20, instead of 50 sounds playing at the same time, you have 10,000 sounds. And of course, the first idea that comes to mind is, okay, 10,000 sounds, it's going to be a big mess with uh, almost white noise uh, uh, playing all over. Uh, but what happens is that since we are thinking about a 3D environment and we are taking into a, uh, into consideration what, all that physical qualities of the, the sound propagation like uh, attenuation, uh, distance attenuation and propagation delay and Doppler and panning and all of those things, what happens is that you actually going to have something like a real sound field like a real soundscape, because a real soundscape, it doesn't matter if it's a battlefield or a restaurant or Times Square or in the middle of the woods, each one of those soundscapes, it's going to have thousands and thousands of sound sources, most of them very far away, um, and then a few sound sources close to you. And the same thing happens here with our battlefield. We're going to have thousands of sounds very, very far away, just adding to that rumble. And then we have a very few sounds close to the microphone. And this gives you the perfect balance, the perfect ratio, like in real life. Uh, and that's uh, also uh, an interesting quality. And then on top of all of these, we have this concept of a virtual microphone that is quite interesting because it allows you to first makes the system fully agnostic. So imagine that now I have this battlefield, I rendered this in 5.1, but imagine that tomorrow someone calls me and say, okay, can you do that version of that battlefield, not in 5.1, but in Dolby Atmos or in Ambisonics or something like that. So it's only a matter of going there, changing the, the settings of the microphone for something else and then re-render everything and you get the exact same scene, the exact same sound events happening in the same places, but now with a full uh, native render uh, for that format. Or you can place different microphones and say, okay, yeah, I want one microphone right in the middle of the battle, but I want another microphone like two miles away, just capturing the overall sound of everything. And you get different perspectives, different microphones, and uh, it's an interesting concept because we, that we are used to use uh, digital audio workstations, uh, are not, don't have this uh, concept of a virtual microphone. Okay, so what is a virtual microphone? So uh, I think it's a, a, an interesting concept that we can use with sound particles. Our hot topic today is directly inspired by the sound particles and its core operational principle, physics-based audio. You already told us how the idea came about and how the software works, but I'd like to take this conversation with a slightly broader view and look at the concept and see if um, there's any potential use cases that uh, could be further explored. For example, the use of sound particle engine within game engines and within the context of procedural audio. And um, I totally see some practical applications that could save a ton of time and achieve a better result sonically working with the integrated solution. But it's just one example. Perhaps there are other ideas that you could talk about. Yeah, so the main idea with physically based audio is to 
try to recreate something that is very similar or that tries to recreate something that happens in real life, physically uh, modeling the behavior of sound. And of course, sometimes people are more focused with reflections and reverbs. Sometimes people are more focused with distance attenuations and Dopplers. And so there are several uh, components of this physically based uh, uh, audio. Um, and for me, if you look, let's take one step uh, back, and if you look for uh, for image software, usually there is 2D image software and 3D image software. So you have 2D, and essentially you work with pixels, and you are layering pixels on top of pixels. It doesn't matter if it is uh, static like Photoshop or is moving like a video editing software. And then you have 3D image software that you have this virtual 3D space, endless 3D space, you position objects over there that could be animated, you put virtual cameras that capture what is happening, and that's perfect. But now when you move to the sound domain, yes, you have audio editing software that pretty much is the audio equivalent of a video editing uh, software, so you are placing sounds on top of sounds. Uh, and yes, you may even have some 3D features, the same way that you can go to Photoshop and have a perspective filter that gives you some 3D uh, sense or something like that. But for me, the interesting was, okay, let's try to create a, a software that is natively in 3D. It's not about panning. It's not about having the listener in a locked position. Uh, it's not about saying that, okay, you position objects only within this sphere or within this cube. No, if I want to place a sound here, another sound like two miles away, I can do it. Uh, and But something that was focused for, for uh, audio. And of course, sound particles is well known by the particle systems and be able to generate thousands of sounds. And let's face it, anything that you could add with thousands of sound sources makes uh, quite interesting to, to accomplish. But even if you remove all the components of particles and simply have individual sound sources and virtual microphones, it's still interesting because we are working uh, a scene on the different point of view. So imagine someone trying to create a Doppler. Of course, you can use editing Doppler almost like a, a audio editing approach with low-level parameters like volume and equalizing, uh, equalization and pitch shifting. Or you can think of at a higher level and say, okay, now I'm going to, I want this Doppler, so I'm going to have a car moving in this direction with this velocity. Now I'm going to place the virtual microphone uh, like two meters away from the path. You listen to the results and say, okay, now this was too abrupt, so let's decrease the velocity of the car or put the microphone further away. And even, of course, although we are talking about 3D workflows, the end result could even be mono and stereo. And the interesting thing is that, okay, let's talk about stereo. And then the question is, which stereo? Because people, which stereo? Yes, which stereo? Because if I'm doing this kind of Doppler simulation, for instance, with sound particles, you can say, okay, which microphone do you want to use? Do you want to use a middle side? Do you want to use a XY? Do you want to use a Blumbline? Do you want to use a Decatree or a RTF? And all of them, all of them are stereo and all of them are going to give you completely different sounds. So once again, it's like trying to recreate a 
actual recording, but doing all of that within the computer. Because if you are trying to record the Doppler, you would think about this, what, which car, uh, how, how fast will the car move, where I'm going to put the microphone, do I want this to be in stereo, okay, which stereo pair I'm going to use. So it's pretty much emulating all of this kind of um, exercise and mental way of implementing things, not at a low level, controlling one parameter independently from the other, like we usually uh, have been doing, uh, but thinking at a higher uh, level. And then there is other opening opportunities, because, for instance, um, many times, especially with animation or visual, effect, visual effects uh, shots, most of the objects that you see on screen are already somewhere on the computer. For me, it doesn't make sense to have something like, for instance, a, a Pixar or a Disney animation movie where you already have the 3D information of every single object from your movie, but you are simply disregarding all of that information and then you con continue to mix things the same way that you did like 50 years ago. You see uh, the projection on the screen and then you start manually adjusting knobs to make sure that the sound fits the, well, the, the image. And don't get me wrong, they do a fantastic job the same way that classic animators did a fantastic job and drawing every single uh, element. But I think there is something else that you could do. You can use the computers to get other type of um, more natural kind of sound, much more realistic. Uh, and of course, there's still a component of art associated because as a mixer, you may want to exaggerate things or smooth things out or even do other kinds of things. But as a starting point, this could be uh, an interesting uh, way of thinking about uh, all of this. And, and let's face it, although the computer is doing a lot of work, it's not less artistic this than it was done in the past. For me, I, no one can tell me that a Pixar movie is less artistic than a Disney uh, classic, simply because they are using computers instead of having things and drawing. No, it's a different kind of art and focus on different uh, aspects. And finally, uh, the, even the small things, so imagine this, imagine that you have two sounds playing at the same time. If you're doing this in the digital audio workstation, you're going to have two sounds playing on top of each other, mixing together, and of course, depending on the phase, some frequencies are going to collide, some are going to be attenuated, some are going to be boosted, um, and this is continue forever. Um, when you do something like this in sound particles, now imagine that one of those sound sources, or even the microphone, is doing a small movement. It could be even like one meter per second or alpha meter per second or something like that. This small movement, although it could be not significant to get the Doppler and a, a pitch shift or something like that, is at least significant to change the phase of the frequencies, which means that frequencies that one second ago were colliding and being attenuated now are being boosted because the phase slightly shifts and the opposite also happens. So even in terms of sound, you get much more natural kind of sound like in real mm -hmm. life because as you move around, things are being uh, colliding, frequencies are being attenuated and then to boost it and it feels much more natural. And of course, we can do this with uh, apply this to things like gaming and interactive and things like that. Of course, for us, uh, what we have been doing so far is 
only the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, I could have a team with 100 developers that I have a lot of work to give all of them. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, that's something that we are also trying to, to, to do. We have a, a small team that is also trying to explore better integrations of sound particles with game engines and interactive uh, things for the, for the future. Nuno, let's briefly chat about the smaller brothers and sisters of some particles within your uh, available plugin ecosystem. You've recently released Energy Panner, and you also have Brightness Panner and a few other bits and pieces. These are some parallel ideas and some very different to some particles. Can you talk a little bit about other product range? Yeah, so of course, since we have uh, developing software, we start to have blocks of code that you can easily reuse for other things. And uh, at some point, I, I recall I was, uh, I had just left kids at school, I was driving to the, to, to the office, and I was listening to some music. And as I was listening to music, I started to say, okay, wouldn't it be nice if the music starts to move around depending on the intensity, for instance, drums, as the, when you have the drum, the drum would almost like move to the side and uh, to call attention to it and things like that. Uh, and that was the beginning of Energy Panner. So what Energy Panner do, does, it's a panner, but the movement is controlled by the intensity of the sound. So you have a starting position, and then as the, the, the sound starts to increase intensity, it starts to move to a target, to a second position that you define. And that's great because now you can start having uh, moving uh, movement uh, that First, it's uh, organic, uh, so you have movement. It's not a static panning like most sometimes, most of the times we end up doing. Uh, but it's not that boring auto panner of doing ping pong between two positions. Uh, it's something that is much more fluid, uh, much more organic. Since it depends on the intensity of the sound, it's not. It's always different, slightly different from the. Uh, from some moments ago, and this is great to bring much more life to your to your uh, mixes, and and we have been wanting to do a lot of things for uh, for music because the problem as being a, a small company is that of course you don't have resources to do everything everything that you want to to do. So we've started mainly with uh, cinema and sound design. Uh, let then people started to use also in TV and video game companies. Uh, and now we are okay. Let's try to start using these technologies for music and Energy Panic was the, the first um, release on that uh, direction. And then people really started to using it and really enjoying the, the concept. So we thought, okay, and now imagine that instead of controlling the intensity, uh, uh, having a panner controlled by the intensity of the sound, uh, that Pretty much it's almost like a compressor, but instead of controlling a gain, it's controlling a panel. Uh, but what if we could use something like frequency and make frequency control the panning instead of sound intensity? So we've created brightness panel, and originally the idea was to simply have the brightness of the sound to control the panning, so a brighter sound will move in one direction, uh, a less bright sound will move on a different direction. And then at some one of the team say, okay, but what if we could put some pitch detector and use pitch to, instead of brightness, to control the panning. So we say, okay, let's do also, let's do a, a pitch detector there and then 
imagine someone playing an arpeggio and depending on the notes, it's going to move in one direction, then back into the other direction. And, and then someone told, okay, can we control this by a MIDI note? And we, you thought, okay, it's a audio effect. It, it puts audio, outputs audio. How can we put MIDI routing here? But we find out that pretty much most DAWs, they have, have a way for you to, if you put this after the virtual instrument, you are still be able to receive MIDI information. So, okay, let's have also the possibility of using MIDI to control the panning. So as you play your notes, if it's a, a, a higher note going into one direction, lower notes going to another direction. So it's also a, a, a lot of fun um, because it's another way instead of using sound intensity to use frequency to control things around. And then, of course, if you put this with uh, a 3D system, of course, you can still use this in stereo, and there is a lot of people using energy panner and brightness panner for uh, stereo applications. But if you start to use this with surround or even immersive like Dolby Atmos or things like that, of course, it's even better because you get more uh, more interesting effects and much more uh, interesting results. And for me, it's all about getting this kind of organic feeling more natural instead of being something very automated or something like that. So, yeah. And we also got a bit of an exclusive here on Immersive Audio Podcast. And uh, I guess I'm not afraid to break an embargo because by the time you listen to this podcast, Sure. All the news would have been uh, re released and announced. So released, uh, Nuno, uh, you're about to release yeah. a brand new product um, that features some um, quite innovative solutions yet again, and um, it's called Space Controller Plugin. I'm going to let you to talk about it. Sure. Um, so essentially, uh, um, when it comes to panning, um, of course, if you are working with stereo, using a knob is perfectly okay. You have left, center, right. Okay, it's a panner, that's the job. But when you start using, uh, working in surround or even in immersive sound, um, even if you are using joysticks or touch screens or even the mouse, all of them, it feels like a little awkward to work with them. It doesn't have a very good user experience. So we were thinking, okay, what can we do to improve Prove the user experience of people panning things in 3D, for instance. Uh, and so we have this uh, crazy idea of, okay, let's use a phone. Uh, the phone has motion sensor, so let's use a phone and simply point the phone to the direction that you want to the sound, the sound to come from. Uh, so essentially, Space Controller, it's a, a plug-in and a mobile app. Uh, and essentially, what you do is you have an app on your uh, phone. You simply point the phone around and almost like a laser pointer. And then the plugin will receive information from the, the phone. You'll know exactly where are you pointing to. And then it's a panner that will place the sound over there. So. Once again, instead of using knobs or joysticks or all of these traditional uh, approaches, the idea it's much more easy. It's simply having a phone and you simply point the phone to wherever you want the sound to come from. And as you can imagine, it's much more fluid. It's quite um, intuitive. If you want to do crazy movement, you can easily do it. It's only a matter of 
moving your phone around and pointing on the right directions. Uh, uh, something that it would be much more awkward to try to do that with joysticks or knobs or all of those things. Uh, so uh, we even created a, a patent with uh, this that we have submitted a few weeks ago. Uh, and yeah. It's a brand new product. We are releasing it today as we are recording this. Uh, so I really hope people will enjoy it. We have some VIP users and some beta testers testing the software and the feedback has been uh, amazing. And yeah, it's a much more intuitive because actually it was interesting because there is this new book called 3D Audio that was just uh, released uh, a few weeks ago. And they even have one entire chapter uh, regarding this way of, okay, controlling and using experience how to uh, pan things around and moving uh, sounds in 3D uh, because, yeah, for me it was something that needed a solution because I was not satisfied and others were not satisf satisfied with this solution uh, for panning sounds around. So I really hope that uh, Space Controller can help people to have even more fun because imagine, for instance, you can even do things like have two phones, one in each end, one for the left, another for the right, and move the ends around, the phones around, and move everything. Or you could have two phones, one for one sound source, another for another sound, and move, place them around. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. Even if you don't buy it, at least to go try the, the trials that we have, uh, because uh, I guess that you're going to have a lot of fun moving sounds around on this very intuitive way. Of panning. I think that's, a, you know, it's been a huge challenge in this industry for a while is how do you control um, audio and 3D space with these two-dimensional controllers. I know that's been a, a focus of mine and something I'm definitely very interested in, yeah, breaking outside of that box and not, you know, using traditional, uh, what I would consider two-dimensional controllers for working in three-dimensional space. So, yeah, and because even if you use things like auto height where you have a joystick and if there is in the middle, it's going to move up. And then if you go to the edges of the joystick, it's going to move down. Even if those things help, um, I was still uh, missing something. I want something quite intuitive. Uh, uh, imagine even small things like imagine that you have a, a helicopter flying by. Okay. How do you do that with a joystick exactly? But if you do that with a hand, okay, it's straightforward. You simply point the, the things, the device, uh, like a laser pointer, and yeah, the sound comes from that direction. It's quite uh, fun to, to use. Well, it's exciting. I'm excited to check it out. The challenge is, uh, you know, I've always faced working in those spaces, and, uh, um, n you know, for... Uh, mm -hmm your yeah. infor, uh, informational purposes. Uh, no, I, I do a lot of work with the Mimu gloves and have been working on mapping those for being able to control sound in three-dimensional environments. So I think that's is somewhat similar to using an iPhone in the sense of, um, you know, being able to, you're not limited again to kind of a two-dimensional uh, surface. You're able to kind of control things um, in space in different ways. Um, again, I'm, I'm really interested to see kind of what what this tool set looks like. One of um, you know one of the things is being able to switch between you know different audio uh, 
sources that you're wanting to control and position and also finding ways of positioning, um, being able to very quickly, you know, move between the different sources that you want and being able to really quickly find, um, move them into the position that you want them to move into and then being able to uh, switch um, kind of back and forth. Is that something this tool on the phone lets you do, or is that something you're going to have to do in the software to do the switching between sources? No, actually, on the tool, we have uh, four transmitting channels that you can easily, on the top of the app, switch between things. So you can have, okay, I'm controlling the voice, and then I'm switch, and now I'm controlling the guitar. So you can switch between uh, four different plugins. Uh, over there, or eventually, if you want, you can use different transmitting channels between the app and the plugins to control different channels and to say, okay, now I want uh, uh, channel one, the left, channel two, the right. Uh, so you can do uh, both uh, both things. Uh, but for us, okay, this is only uh, the beginning, and now we are starting to to explore more things and try to think, okay, other ideas, how can we extrapolate this even further? Of course, um, currently we have uh, the, the plugin and the plugin is only able to, to work with uh, channel-based audio or ambisonics. So we are not even we are not able to control, for instance, Dolby objects directly, uh, but we are trying to to uh, to to push the the main uh, doors, the main uh, other 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 software companies to help us be able to reach that and be able. Because for me, uh, especially in movie industry, if you are using Dolby Atmos, it's a, a pity not to use this to control Dolby uh, objects. Um, so, of course, this is. We are just beginning, and uh, of course, we are keen to read, to get some feedback from the users. Some of the users already gave us quite interesting uh, things. Like, for instance, one of them said, "Okay, could you do that with the Apple Watch?" And I said, "Okay, let's try." Yes, Apple Watch also has motion sensors, so yeah, let's try to uh, in the future update use Apple Watch to control sounds, and you feel like Iron Man or whatever. <laughs> On your, on your studio. Um, but yeah, uh, for us, it's important to get this feedback from the users because one idea sparkles another and sparkles another. And at some point, we end. Once again, sometimes it's difficult for us because uh, we have users asking things and we, yes, we want to deliver all of those things. Uh, but for instance, Sound particles, we, I have literally around 300 features that I want to implement in sound particles that we weren't even yet able to, to implement. But yeah, please keep giving me the feedback and talk about things. For instance, with the space controller, uh, I, Monica was talking about live sound. I'm imagine, okay, imagine a, a guitar player with a phone connected to the to the guitar and simply moving the guitar and panning things around in 3D. So there is a, a, a lot of things that people can try uh, and even demand more features from us to make everything even smoother. I was going to say, is it able to communicate um, uh, with OSC? So currently, no, we are working on that. Uh, we are working on a, uh, it's one of the things that is now at the to-do list for upcoming uh, versions, uh, but it's something that is on our list. Currently, what we do is we will use both uh, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, especially Wi-Fi for dubbing stages where most of the times computers are 
a completely different room very far away and the reach of Bluetooth doesn't uh, get there. Uh, so Bluetooth is straightforward. You don't need to do any kind of configuration. As long as the app is near the, the computer, the computer will detect it. And then you can also use Bluetooth, um, Wi-Fi if you have the computer very far away. Uh, but other uh, things like OSC and other uh, protocols is something that we are currently exploring at at this time, we have already some developers trying to do some experience and find out uh, how to implement this with OSC. For us, it's interesting because, okay, we are opening a new door that, okay, instead of using the traditional controllers with knobs and things that are on the physical uh, control surface, let's try to do other things. The same way that, for instance, Dear VR started to explore with uh, VR uh, solutions for mixing in 3D. Uh, we are now starting with using uh, a mobile phone or iPod touch or something like that. And okay, let's. some others have been working with gloves. So let's start continue to explore all of these solutions and uh, try to get the best solution for each one of the problems that we want to, to handle in the future. And I think what's nice about the um, the phone solution is just that it, it makes it a little bit more accessible. Um, as you don't have to have a VR, you know, setup. Um, you don't have to have, uh, you know, the like Mimu gloves. You can just have your phone that most people already have, um, and be able to do the uh, be able to do that control with um, something that again you know, a large majority of people already have in their back pocket. Yeah, definitely. And it could be even only the first step and then people realize that, yeah, but I want even more of this and I want the full VR headset or I want the full capabilities of the, the, the gloves or whatever. But, okay, it's a starting point. Everyone has a phone. Uh, our solution works with iOS and Android, so it means that anyone can try it, at least go to our software, to our site and download the trial and try uh, all of this easily. We don't need uh, any special of initial commitment or whatever. Simply go there, try the software, have a lot of fun. Uh, and eventually, if you like it and you start using it in your, in your work, okay, buy the license, okay. But even if you don't buy the license, at least you get one uh, idea that in the future could sparkle uh, other approaches and other things that you may want to do in the future. Awesome. Well, Nuna, you've already alluded to the fact that you have hundreds, if not thousands of ideas for the sun particle engine itself and um, and everything else that you you know looking to develop and implement in the future. But what's the roadmap for for the kind of immediate future? And what would be the next priority? What what kind of things you would like to try and achieve next as a company? Yeah. So, like I mentioned, what we have done so far, it's the beginning. It's like someone just arriving to the world of computer graphics and say, okay, there is so many things that you can do with computer graphics. Uh, so we are more or less on the same spot regarding this native three D approach to. To, to sound uh, is okay. There is so many things you can apply this to sound design in movies, to uh, video games, to music, to VR, uh, to even other uh, fields. Um, and we are trying to 
explore all of this. Of course, as a software company, uh, I, I don't want us to do one more equalizer or one more uh, compressor if that doesn't bring a significant uh, advance or something out of the box. So we definitely, I, I think that we are one of those out of the box kind of companies that like to do crazy things. Sometimes it may work, sometimes it may not work, but we definitely like to, to push the envelope and try to think on different ways. Uh, and for, for us, the, the future, of course, we will continue to develop some particles. Now we are working from the last uh, almost two years we, that we have been working on the new generation, uh, the third generation of sound particles that is going to be released within a, a few months um, and we'll bring especially more music related features because we want to bring all of this the power of particles and all of those things to music because we think that there is a lot of fun things that you can do with all of this in music um, at the same time uh, we are trying to uh, improve improve the, the the integration between sound particles and video game engines um, um, at the same time we have a small team handling the binaural problem and trying to see if we could also do some kind of uh, contribution and get some kind of uh, binaural solution um, and at the same time of course we have sound particles that is a completely different approach from this traditional uh, digital audio workstations, but at the same time, we want to continue to create some plugins for people that continue to use digital audio workstations and to be able to use more 3D tools and more creative ways of doing things like Energy Panel and Brightness Panel and Space Controller and other plugins that we have on our roadmap for the future. And on this note, I'd like to make another announcement. Some particles kindly giving away a whole set of tools for one of our lucky listeners, which includes the Sound Particles plugin itself, plus all other plugins as one. All you need to do is simply go to www.soundparticles.com, register to the newsletter, and um, the lucky winner shall be picked up within seven days after the podcast is released. Exactly. So simply go to the website. Uh, of course, if you are interested in knowing more about some particles, it's a good starting point. Um, of, uh, you, if you register to the newsletter, we're going to uh, uh, give away one package with all our software, sound particles, energy panel, brightness panel, upper air, space controller, everything. So uh, one pack with everything from us uh, to the to the lucky winner that subscribes within the uh, seven days after the release of the, the podcast. And also, we have usually there, we have access to our trials. In case of plugins, usually you have 30 days trials. If you, if you want some particles, some particles is not even time limited. You can continue using it for uh, a long longer. And um, of course, we have social. You can follow us to get all the news uh, on social. We even have a Facebook group called Sound Particles Forum where you can uh, uh, get uh, a more, we usually have a more close relation with people asking uh, opinion from the users, what do you prefer, do you prefer this approach or that, uh, things like that. And also um, something important, if you are a student or a teacher or a school, um, we give away free license to everyone that is a student, a professor 
or a teacher because let's face it, students don't have the, the money to, to buy software. So for us, it's, uh, we see that almost like an investment in the future. Uh, so if you're a student, you can get a, a free version of sound particles with all the features, no strings attached uh, for you or for your school. So uh, simply come to our website and register and get a free version. Nuno, can you share one piece of advice that really helped you in your career? Uh, there is this famous quote from this famous philosopher called Yoda that says, do or do not, there is no try. Uh, and I, I think that's actually the reality because let's face it, audio or music, it's a complicated industry uh, like so many other industries that also share the same problem. But my advice is, okay, if you really want to be part uh, of this industry and you want to, to work in this field, my advice is to use your passion uh, as your energy, as your engine, uh, and then aim to the stars and then work, work, and work to, to, to try to uh, be the best that you, you can. Because if you are the best, definitely that's a, a room for you in the industry, and even if you are not the best and you are only uh, one of the best or one of the 50 best or whatever, there's still room for you. So as long as you get this commitment and say, no, this is, I'm really committed to be part of audio, it's, you really need this kind of commitment. It cannot be almost like, okay, it's a hobby or I have this uh, day job and then on weekends, on uh, nights, I'm trying to do something. Of course, you can be lucky, but the odds are uh, against you. So my advice is, okay, if you really want to be part uh, of this very difficult uh, industry, but very rewarding, uh, it's to, okay, Work, work, work. There is no civil, silver bullet, uh, uh, and be ready to to commit and work uh, to to be able to achieve your place in the industry. That's a brilliant piece of advice. Thank you very much, Nuno. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being on a podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. It was very interesting. It was a pleasure. Thank you, and thank you for having this podcast on this topic. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash Immersive Audio Podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott, Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit 1618digital.com slash immersiveaudiopodcast to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. 
Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. I'm Emily Reese from the podcast Level with Emily Reese, and I interview people who make audio for games, mostly composers. Our newest episode features composer Gordy Hab about his music for Star Wars Squadrons, which is absolutely outstanding. You can find us at patreon.com slash level and levelwithemily.com. Hi, this is Michael Helms, host of the Location Sound Podcast. My recent guest is production sound mixer Byron Mayer, based out of Copenhagen, Denmark. We talk about recording sound on the feature film Torbos, the official Oscar entry for South Africa. Check out the latest episode. Hi, this is Christian from the Sound Effect Podcast. In our latest episode, you'll hear field recordist adventurer George Vlad from Mindful Audio talk about his travels and work, including his latest library, African Desert, all at soundeffect.com forward slash podcast. Hi all, this is Becky and Susan from the Sound Girls podcast, where we speak to audio professionals from all walks of life. Join us Tuesdays at 9 a.m. and listen to the amazing array of sound humans talk about how they got into the biz. And a few cool things, like roadie nicknames and fizzy water preferences. You can find the Sound Girls podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as our website, soundgirls.org. Hey, everybody. This is Tim from Tone Menders. In our latest episode, we talk with four-time Oscar winner Richard King. He tells us about the ultra-complicated sound for Christopher Nolan's latest film, Tenant. We talk about creating interesting sound design for scenes happening in reverse, how to build cinematic body punches, and his thoughts on the controversy over the film's dialogue mix. Listen wherever you find podcasts or at ToneBendersPodcast.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Hughes, host of the Sound Architect Podcast, where I interview audio professionals around the world about their projects, their careers, and their advice. I've spoken to some of the most amazing sound designers on the top games, TV shows, and movies of our time. Our guests also include some of the biggest composers of our generation and some of the most amazing voice actors I've ever spoken to. Catch the Sound Architect podcast wherever you listen to your podcast or at our website, www.thesoundarchitect.co.uk. See you there. In our modern lives, we spend so much time thinking about what things look like that we tend to forget about our incredible sense of hearing. That's where we come in. I'm Dallas Taylor, and I'm the host of 20,000 Hertz, a podcast that reveals the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. In each episode, we chase down the hidden backstory behind a famous sound or sonic phenomenon. We followed sound designer Ben Burt on his hunt for the sound effects of Star Wars. He was hiking and his backpack caught on a, a guy wire that was leading up to a radio tower. And he heard what sounded like a blaster sound. We found out that dinosaurs probably didn't sound anything like Jurassic Park. If we were around when T-Rex was around, we might feel these sounds of the largest dinosaurs more than we would hear them through our ears. We've tracked down the origins of a drum sample that's been used in hundreds of hip-hop and electronic songs. During that time, everybody had drum breaks. And we had been doing songs where Greg would play these drum beats. We've explored the challenges of interplanetary communication. 
It's pretty amazing to think that I could be on Mars and say, Houston, I have a problem. And it'll be 40 minutes before they get back and say, what's up? And we've revealed how the Netflix audio logo almost included the sound of a goat. For a while, we were stuck on that goat sound. I thought that would be a good time. (laughs) This year on 20,000 Hertz, we'll uncover the origins of even more iconic sounds. Our dog. We'll also hear from a few surprise guests. In this run of Daffy, he's not the greedy money. Ooh, that's mine. Give that to me. We're bringing him back to the, uh, I'm Daffy. You know, Uh, we are all time travelers going one way. Subscribe to 20,000 Hertz wherever you get your podcasts. That's 20,000 Hertz spelled out without any numbers. Once you see our swirly purple icon, you'll know you're in the right place. And if you're already a fan of the show, tap the share button in your podcast player and post this trailer on Facebook or Twitter, or text it to someone directly who you think would love this show. 